Welcome to the SNR Podcast. I'm your host, Salima Ismail. Today's guest is Linda Hummel, a high reliability expert at Safe and Reliable Healthcare. Linda is a strong advocate for putting the patient's voice at the forefront of all healthcare decisions, and because of her strong values, has made an incredible impact everywhere she goes. And it seems like this is how it was meant to be. You know, it wasn't like an event happened and I wanted to be a nurse. It was just seemed logical and something that I could do. And I went into it and I, I literally loved it. I loved nursing start, but it wasn't something, you know, how some people have those profound stories. Unfortunately, I don't have a profound story. I just thought it would be good to be a nurse. <laughs> Linda started out 42 years ago with a nursing diploma and took on different roles, including tertiary care and perioperative services. I worked part-time because I was having a family. And the interesting thing is the hospital that I worked in was really ahead of its time. It was a progressive process improvement before it was even in vogue, kind of always trying to improve. And there was a reason why this hospital was so advanced in its strategy. It was a very competitive market. And I think to be successful, they knew they had to differentiate themselves. So this was a way that they would differentiate themselves. And they also, the team, the CEO and the CNO, and even the chief financial officer at the time, really focused on patient-centered care, safety, and sound process. And I got to be heavily involved as a point-of-care nurse. It wasn't that I was a leader, but the work and the exposure and the techniques that were taught to me at that very pivotal time in my career really helped me gain understanding in how to approach many healthcare opportunities to improve and to always put the patient in the center. Linda learned a lot and her performance did not go unnoticed. And I had a nursing director that recognized that I might have talent in being a leader. So she encouraged me, because remember, I'm just a diploma nurse working part-time. And she encouraged me to go and get my bachelor's degree in nursing. And I did that while I had small children. I went to school part-time and loved it. I've always loved education. And as soon as I finished my bachelor's, I sort of, you know, it's, it's the typical healthcare story. I got tapped on the shoulder to go into the management positions. And as I did that work, I realized I needed more knowledge to be successful. So I went on to get my master's degree right after my bachelor's. At the same time, Linda was working with the IHI and their Breakthrough Patient Safety Series. There were speaking engagements. It just really opened up the world to those of us that were involved. And I got recruited to work at Southern Illinois University to work there in process improvement. And I was the director of patient safety and process improvement. Here, Linda found another great team with strong leadership. As part of her work, Linda participated in the American Hospital Association's National Patient Safety Fellowship. And lo and behold, that's where I met Alan and Michael in my studies through the fellowship. <laughs> you know, it's just so serendipitous how things work. Serendipitous because Linda had identified a culture improvement opportunity at the tertiary care system. The opportunity was with the anesthesia and the nurse anesthetist. There seemed to be tension in how they accomplished their work and really 
trying to get them to understand it's a team effort. And there were some political things going on in the background as to how many anesthetists a a physician would sponsor, et cetera. There was a lot going on in that space, but we knew for the benefit of our patients and to have a high reliable system within that anesthesia department, we had to get them working off the same page. So we started thinking, how do you do that? And I started facilitating a small group of leaders and everyday point of care workers in how do we accomplish and how do we build trust? How do we develop standardization in how we approach our patient care? And anesthesia is always a leader in that space. But in this time, there were some just some issues that they had to work out. And as it got more complex, we invited Michael to come help with some of the facilitation and some of the key aspects of patient safety and high reliability. So the two of us worked with this team and we recognized they needed to have socialization. So we put their lounge together. So they ate lunch together, they ate breakfast together, and they started working as a team. They were able to recruit their students to work there. That was very successful. And then our tenure, the turnover within the department really decreased as a result of this work and the partnership that they developed in how to do the work. It was a great experience. Linda was then recruited to other healthcare systems to help with cultural change opportunities. Here, she is describing her work at the University of Lowell. One of their opportunities was they struggled with meeting the standards within Joint Commission. And they brought me in to help put some reliability into that process. And as a result of putting a structure together, we called it a constant state of readiness and really helping people understand that joint commission standards are not something to fear or to be angry with, but to gain understanding and that they're just the basics of things we need to do. We changed the culture within the University of Louisville as to we can do joint commission and we're going to even be better than that. So we worked on that process, involved all the leaders, and we went through a cycle. So the next joint commission survey, they passed with flying colors. And they continued to do that based on the fact of how we changed the culture and that we wanted to be a learning environment and improve versus being told what to do. And there is a method that Linda has been following to replicate the success at Queens Hospital in Hawaii. It's a Joseph Duran model. And you take the leaders, which is really the directors within the organization, and you have them really go out into the organization and do many learning surveys. But they don't survey within their departments. They survey outside of their department because outside eyes are always most valuable. So if you teach your directors what you need to do on an everyday basis to be compliant, and then not only are they helping the organization because they identify opportunities, there may be a unit where hand washing isn't as compliant as you would want it, but then they take what they learn as they're helping others be compliant back to their departments and improve. So it's a constant thing and you do it every quarter. You do an annual mock survey from within and it's teaching people to gain understanding what it means to be compliant and how to even take it to the next level because they're involved in it every day. Even though this approach has shown to work in multiple applications, Linda finds that she still continued to learn day by day. 
I have learned over even just this past year how to balance this work with the urgency of a pandemic. How do you take that hospitals are in this emergency management mode, but yet we still have to make sure that we meet the basic compliance and reliability issues? That's been a challenge. It has helped me learn to be patient and to gain understanding, but to also still make sure that there's a voice at the table so that we don't lose the basic standards or footings in our compliance world. I think the other thing I've learned over time is it is key to the success of organizations as you do any work that the voice of the patient is at the center of your focus. I have seen organizations where when you waver from that patient focus or the patient-centeredness, that the work gets a little more difficult. And if you keep the patient at the center and you keep bringing everybody back to that, the work becomes just a little bit easier. And this is where Linda truly shines, bringing the patient voice to the forefront. In any role that I've been, I was the vice president of patient experience. So if there was a family or a patient that was unhappy or maybe extremely happy, either end of the spectrum, I got to really gain understanding into what worked really well, or they helped me understand what didn't go well. And as I got introduced and worked with these families, I recognized how valuable their feedback was. And I would ask them if they would want to participate. And many of them would. And we would meet, we had our patient family centered care council, and we would meet monthly. And they would do all kind of work. So they were willing volunteers that really made a difference in how we approached our work. By bringing these patient volunteers together through the Patient Family Center Institute, Linda was able to form some incredible initiatives. So one of the things that we really worked on was how do you advocate for the patient in the bed and knowing that you basically should have or need someone there 24-7 and what does that look like? So the team here at Mission, we called them their care advocates, and you would identify who that person was. And we literally took away any type of visitation policy and said the care advocate was to be with the patient 24-7 or at whatever convenience they needed based on how we partnered with the caregivers. Of course, there's a fine line because there are some times when you may have had to ask that caregiver to step out. But rarely. We ended up that even in our emergency department or in the ICUs, families would be present for the codes. And this is definitely not normal practice. Some of these procedures are very, very difficult to even witness from afar. I want to tell you, when it started happening, I was like, oh my goodness, do we really want to do this? And then We really did. It wasn't like you just left the family member in there. We would have somebody from our pastoral care department or a nurse assigned to them, and they would kind of take them aside and maybe help them understand and make sure that they were okay and did they want to see it. But I have to share with you, it really made an impact on whether the outcome was good or bad, how that family gained understanding into how hard healthcare workers work for their loved ones too. Though this process did not happen overnight, it definitely took some time and adjustment. 
So I think of one of our care advocates who took care of her brother-in-law, who was slow, and he was a very, very sick gentleman. And she would come into our emergency department, and this was pre where we were much more um, patient-centered and told to step outside the room. And you would have this adult patient with probably the cognitive ability of a second grader. They would be working with him and she would be separated from him. And it was scary for him. Imagine that. And even more scary for her. And when she contacted me, I met with her and she said, I have to be there. I have to be, I have to, he understands when I explain things and I am his advocate. And of course, we had made an error where he didn't receive the bright medication and had a, a challenging outcome. And her and I worked together. It was so funny because he was one of the people who had to have frequent visits to our emergency department. And at first, when she would come in, I would always get paged no matter when, middle of the night, weekends, whatever, because I would be there to advocate for her to make sure that our process worked. And in the end, it was so funny. I didn't get called anymore because it was just what they did was to include her in the care. And she went out in the community and spoke about it, how important it was to be part of that care, how important it was that you advocate for your loved one and for yourself. It was one of our changing stories because after that, he didn't have any bad outcomes. The other thing that I have learned over the years is it appears to be easy work it isn't. But the key that I find to success is really the persistence. It's relying on your message and not changing the message. And healthcare gets so flighty at times. But if you're persistent, and I mean really persistent, we are going to ensure that we wash our hands every patient every time. How do you do that? What does that look like? How do you give that feedback? And don't do it for a month, but make it part of what you do every day and everybody holds the other person accountable. That's how we get to a better place. These days at Safe and Reliable, Linda's work looks a little different. I will share that I don't miss the 24-7 responsibility that I had. Maybe it was a lot of it was self-imposed, but I felt that 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year, I was responsible to every patient that we served. That just gets wearing, you know? But I do miss the everyday encounters that I would have with patients and families. It just reminds you of why we do the work. But I do like that we can impact whole organizations and really ask the hard questions to make them think about how they change their cultures. There's so much hidden value in the score survey when you're working with organizations. And even if it was my own, when they said, well, where is leader visibility? Well, you think you're visible, right? But then I know even at Mission, that was one where it said, we really don't feel that we have input into our leaders or we have access to them. So as a result of SCORE, we really started attending their huddles more and really just being present and not being a leader, but listening. And what a difference that made. You know, we always think we have to fix the world and it's just those little things that will make such a difference. If you would like to contact or would like to submit any questions or comments about the podcast, please email podcast at srh.care. That's all for today. The Safe and Reliable podcast was produced and edited by me, Salima Ismail. Our theme music was produced by MonkeyMan535 from freesound.org. Special thanks to Linda Hummel. And a very special thanks to you for tuning in. 
See you again soon.